But before marriage 21 and we're marriage ministry, we help single Christians become the right people for marriage by showing them what marriage looks like when done God's way. Now, in order for marriages to be successful, um, you need the fruits of the Spirit. And you cannot have the fruits of the Spirit without having the seed of the Spirit, which is Jesus Christ, right? So, um, we're led to start this Bible study because we saw that a lot of Christians who claim to be Christians, right, are actually genuine Christians. Um, they weren't truly born again. They hadn't received the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, um, we decided to start this Bible study so that we can help people become proper Christians. You can build the right foundation uh, so that you can build your life on it. So that when you're looking for a spouse or, you know, when you're looking for your marriage to behave the way Jesus Christ or God designed it to be, uh, you'll be able to experience it, right? Uh, so we're going to be studying the, the, the book of Romans because this book gives an overview of what Jesus Christ came to do. Uh, it gives an overview of uh, who we are before Christ, who we are when we receive Christ, and who we're supposed to be after we receive him. Um, so today we're going to be discussing, and it's based on Romans 1 because we're still on Romans 1, but why would a loving God send his children to hell? And this is a very, very sensitive topic. It's also a question that I'm sure we've all asked ourselves at some point. Uh, but this was the motivation behind this topic was born when I was listening to an interview earlier in the week. Um, and if you look at Ecclesiastes, because Ecclesiastes is actually the, you know, the book that King Solomon wrote at the end of his life. You know, so you can imagine King Solomon, like the wisest man that ever lived except Jesus Christ, you know, um, wrote the book of Proverbs, the wisdom book, experienced so many things. Ecclesiastes was his last book. Obviously, we've heard the vanity of vanity is vanity. Everything is meaningless. But the very last verse that he said in that book was, that's the whole story. Here's my final conclusion. After everything he has seen and experienced, he said, here is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. And so the interview I was watching, I was listening to earlier in the week, uh, the question was, what does it mean to fear God? And the response, I wasn't expecting it. Like, it blew my mind. I was telling you earlier in the week as well. I'm like, I wasn't expecting this response. But the response that the guy gave, he said, to fear God is to have a balanced view of who God is. To fear God is to have a balanced view of who God is. And by the time he broke it down, it made sense. You know, because we find that a lot of people have a skewed view of who God is. Um, God is a loving God, but they ignore that God is a holy God and is a just God at the same time. So an imbalanced view of who God is leads to ignorance, to ignorance and confusion. Now, if you look at Romans 121, it says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And so they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Now, you see that when we don't have a balanced view of who God is, we'll begin to think of foolish ideas of what God is like. Now, we we'll begin to create our own gods. 
oh the god of the bible doesn't now nah, it doesn't it, it doesn't really exist this is who i think god is and based on that i can then live my life or direct my life the way i am perceiving god to be you know um if you only see god as a love as, as a loving god you will ignore his holy side like i said and then you make decisions on what you feel a loving god would want you to do um secondly um i know with preachers like joel Osteen, you know he he's used to saying that oh people know that they are sinners so when they come to church they don't know they don't need to be reminded that they are sinners so we give them a message of hope and for a long time i subscribed to that theology or that ideology if i would say uh because i thought the same thing you know a lot of christians know that they are sinners so why would they come to church and hear the same thing like it's going to drive them away from god but i was listening to another interview again earlier at the end of the week and it changed my view because we assume that christians actually know that they're sinners but i've come to realize that we actually don't know that we're sinners we think that we are good people who sin once in a while and that's a totally different thing you know um so we want people to actually know the severity of what god sees sin as because no matter how small your sin is it separates you from a holy god right and so unless you are able to come to that understanding that you know what my my state right now is going to keep me away from god it like eternally you know until you are able to reconcile the fact that you are a sinner like i remember my own story as well like the day i like it just dawned on me that i am a terrible person like no matter how good i i thought i was to god i was he says all our righteousness are, are like filthy rags so all the good things that we do are like filthy rags he says if you sin in one and you keep the whole commandment you're as guilty as as keeping none of it you know, so until we come to this realization, we're not able to ask for help. It's only someone who asks for help that can receive a solution. If you don't even know that you have a problem, you're not going to go to the hospital. So as Christians, we need to understand that we have a problem. And until we recognize that problem, we cannot ask for help. We cannot ask for a savior. You know, so that is why we are, we are doing this. Um, and so for us to start... There's a part in the Bible where Jesus Christ was asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? And then he then asked them, who do you say that I am? So right now, I want us to start with, actually, let's just start with a prayer and then we get into this. Heavenly Father, we just commit this Bible session into your hands. Um, we just release your wisdom. We know that when you died on the cross, everything, all your promises are in him. Yes and amen. We have access to your wisdom. We have access to your light. We just release that wisdom right now in the mighty name of Jesus, that everyone who is on this session will receive your light. Your word says that the entrance of your word gives light and gives understanding to the simple. We receive that light. Whatever darkness we are walking in, whatever darkness is currently in our hearts, we declare that that darkness gives way to the light. And your word says that when the light comes, the darkness cannot comprehend it. Light always has to shine in darkness and the darkness will not comprehend it, Lord. We ask, O oh Lord, as your seeds are dropped in this session, that the seeds will stay in our hearts long enough to produce the fruits of the Spirit, Lord, in Jesus' name. For those who do not know you genuinely, we ask for a fresh revelation of your light, Lord, in Jesus' name. 
For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So, um, I want us to start this with, let's, let's sort of give a critical evaluation of who do men say God is? Like based on your experiences, based on what you've heard, based on what you've seen, who do people say God is? And I'm going to open the floor to everyone right now. Like, who, who, do God, who, who do people say God is? How have you seen God in the past? Or who do you even think God is? You know, let's, 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 let's start with that. Does anybody want to share? And if you are on the, if you're in the audience, you want to get on stage and, and share anything, just let us know. We'll invite you up on stage. Hi, Tosi. Yeah, hi. Okay, so for me, I think I used to think that God was this um, impenetrable person, that he was like he was he was like a master, hmm. you know. I I didn't necessarily see him as a father, you know. So, but then like some of the things you um, said um, before now in your introduction as well. I used to think as well that, you know, God was just, it was just about love. He was that um, father that um, just do anything. He would clear the mess, you know. But now as I'm, as I'm maturing in, in my faith and understanding of, um, of who God is, I realized that there's this um, holiness um, side of him. Mm. You know, God is holiness. Holiness is God. And yeah, and even though he's a loving father, that, um, that holiness part, let me put it that way, that holiness aspect or that judgment aspect of him still stands, like it still stays. So, yeah, that's it. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Tosin. That's, I think most people will be able to relate with that. Yep. Because for me, even when I gave my life to Christ, like I was all about grace, you know, all oh, the grace of God. You know, God has died for our sins. Now we can, you know, we can live our lives the way we want. Not, not, not really the way we want to, but no matter how bad we live, like there's always, for, and yeah, forgiveness is always available, you know, but I guess people don't realize that there, are con- there will still be consequences for your action. Like that side of God, the principal side of God, the holy side of God still exists. You are still going to, if you kill somebody, he's going to forgive you. He's already forgiven you, sir. But you still have to go to jail and serve the consequences. Not gonna sort of take that um, away. Anybody else want to share? Again, if you're the audience and you wanna um, get on stage, just raise your hand and we'll invite you up to speak. Ooh, a pandemic boy is here. Wow, good to have you, Opie. <laughs> OG, you um, want to say something? Yep. Yeah. I, I quite like God is good, right? And I think, like, based on what um, you and Uwatosin have said so far, I think what it is is... Sorry, one second. Yeah, um, I think what it is is we human beings tend to superimpose our understanding of certain concepts on God. Mm. 
So we say God is good and we superimpose our understanding of what good is onto God. But that's not necessarily what good in its entirety is. Mm. Right? Um, so I think, okay, yes, God is good. Because he is good, he promises us that when we go through rivers of difficulty, that when we go through deep waters, he will be with us. When we go through rivers of difficulty, we will not drown. When we walk through the fire of oppression, we will not be burnt up. The flames will not consume us. But we see good as we will not go through Through deep waters. We will not go through rivers of difficulty. Um, When we... You've gone off, babe. Take scripture as scripture as opposed to our own human understanding of certain concepts. We'll see that that's not what's good. Babe, you're cutting off. We can't hear you. You're cutting off. Okay. Yep. We okay, we the last thing you heard. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you now. What was the last thing you heard? Um, hey, who can help me? Because I was trying to grab her attention to let her know that we couldn't hear her. Okay, I was just for, I guess I'll just start again. No, no, I no. Um, you can, we heard the when we say that something is good we superimpose that on what god's definition of good um yeah i already explained that part so after that okay so what that okay i said god's definition of good but so i was saying that but we think that good is that we will not go through deep waters exactly yeah we will not go through the fire we will not go through difficult situations but that's not what scripture says um good is and a real life example that sort of like comes to mind because god's goodness is as human beings we sort of like tend to focus on ourselves like god being good to us what that looks you've been cut off again oh i don't know what's going on with your Try talking again, please. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, so I was like, um, as human beings, we sort of like tend to focus on God being good to us. But God, as in like the individual, like me. But God is good to every single person at, at the same time. So that means God is taking a lot of things into consideration. There's sort of like a lot of moving parts, how his goodness affects everybody at the same time. Um, And a very basic example that I would give was, this was maybe like two months ago now, when Moewa went out with um, our first son to the store to get something. And for all of like two seconds, this guy, as I said, this guy, my son saw a bicycle, right? And that image was imprinted in his heart because once he got home, 
every single day, multiple times a day, he was asking us to buy him that bicycle, right? And when was said he was going to buy him the bicycle, in fact, he bought the bicycle but put it in the trunk of his car. The reason why we didn't give it to him at the time was because we just had our law, as in we just did our loan, so there couldn't be like our back loan, so there couldn't be sort of like any pressure on it for a few weeks to get the grass to take root. So in that situation, Muiwa was good to Oruwa in the sense that he got him what he asked for, but he was also good to the loan in the sense that he was trying to protect the, the newly. Um, the newly done lawn from being destroyed because if Orolu started riding the bicycle on it, that's the end of the lawn basically. But Orolu was sort of like more focused on himself. Mm. Like, oh, daddy, be good to me now. Daddy, give me what I want now. Satisfy this need now. And although Muiwa had already satisfied it, Orolu didn't know yet. He hadn't received it yet because Muiwa was being holistically um, good. So I guess yeah for me god is good but our human understanding cannot comprehend what that um what that good is thanks for sharing that's that's actually a very very good example and illustration um see that some new people have joined um just want to refresh the room real quick so we're discussing the topic, why would a loving God send his children to hell? Um, but we're not discussing it directly. We're sort of building up uh, to it. Um, and the way we're starting with it is, I was listening to an interview earlier in the week. And um, I know with King Solomon, the end of Ecclesiastes, he says, here's my final conclusion, fear God and obey his commands. And the question was, what does it mean to fear God? Um, and the response that the man gave like blew my mind away. Like he said, to fear God is to have a balanced view of who God is. And we've, I've come to realize that an imbalanced view of God leads to ignorance and confusion. We're currently studying the book of Romans. Uh, Romans 1.21 says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. So they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. You see, they are, they are, because they started to think of what God was like and not who God was really, it, it's, as a result, their minds became dark and confused. You know, um, so an imbalanced view of God leads to ignorance and confusion. Um, so now, Jesus Christ was asking his disciples at some point saying, you know, who do men say that I am? Versus who do you say that I am? So right now, we're trying to sort of, critically evaluate who do people say God is before we even get to who is God really. So that is the question that we're trying to answer right now. Uh, if you are in the audience and you want to get on stage, just signify and then we'll invite you up to speak. Uh, I believe uh, we've already shared some Oluwa Tosin was like, you know, she had always seen God as this loving father, you know, um, but not really as the holy god you know like those those parts of god are still there but because we are only seeing god from a particular view that is all we think god is and if we think and if that's the only view that we see god as then we are going to be confused and our, our minds are going to be dark you know so basically if, if you have any 
um, other insights, uh, please share. Who do men say God is? You know, um, OG has just shared now how, you know, like our, we superimpose our definition of good on God. And in the same way, when people hear of our Heavenly Father, a lot of people superimpose their earthly fathers on that statement. Like, we see God as our earthly father, or we superimpose our earthly fathers on God. So, our idea of God isn't what it's supposed to be because we are seeing God the way we see our earthly fathers who are imperfect, who aren't good the way God is good, you know. And I know Oji, Oji might be able to share something on this, but it affects relationships as well because a lot of people superimpose their dads on their boyfriends or on their husbands you know um or they're not able to see god the way he is because of their experiences with their earthly dad so when god says i'm going to give you this thing they remember when their earthly dad promised to give them something but never fulfilled that promise and so now we think this heavenly father that we call god now isn't going to fulfill the promise the same way our earthly dads did and then it sort of distorts that image that we're supposed to have um, of God. So does anybody else want to share, you know, who do men say God is? What have you heard? What have you seen? Um, I think that the statement that you gave actually goes both ways. Um, and it's like you said, it's sort of like the same thing with relationships as well. Um, you can either go for what you're comfortable with or you go rather what you know or you're going for the opposite of what you know so there are those that yes they see i mean to a certain degree every single person has daddy issues because like you said human beings are not perfect our fathers are not perfect so there are those that see god the way they see their fathers and then there are those that want to see god as the opposite of their father so that's Mm. as in a lot of people in that sense then don't really have that balanced view in in that sense like oh they feel like their father wasn't loving so they now see god as this excessively overloving person but again it's based on their need or rather what they think they need like based on what they felt they lacked rather Mm. um so which is why a lot of people have a warped sense of goodness or a warped sense of love sort of thing but the bible tells us that god so loved the world that he sent his son to save us like that is what god's love is god's love isn't necessarily giving us stuff or making us feel good or whatever god's love is sort of like action based he loves us so much that he wants to be holy so i don't necessarily think that all these various aspects of god can actually when you really sit down to look at it can actually be separated because it's because of in my mind is because of one nature of god that he requires something of us so like because god so loved us he requires us to be holy if that makes any sense they are not necessarily two independent sides they are sort of like all mixed in like yeah well all mixed in one to to be who god um is sort of thing yeah yeah that makes sense and it's it's i guess it leads us to the question that we have on 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 the platform right now is 
why would a loving God send his children to hell? And I don't want to mention his name, but there was a popular guy on Instagram that, you know, was saying that um, he doesn't see how a loving God can send, you know, uh, setting people to hell because that is not just the God that he knows. You know, that is not just the loving father, the, the grace filled and I remember OG and I were just looking like, like, who do you think God is? Like, I feel like there is a fault, there, there, there's an error in your premise. And a lot of people deal with this as well, and which is why we're doing this session. Because until you are able to get that balanced view of God, you, are, you will not be able to relate with him properly. If you feel like God is this over-loving God who, you know, just wants to give you everything, wants the best for you and all that stuff, like... When the discipline, the disciplinary part of God shows up, you will think it's the devil that's come. You will not realize that God is the same person who is actually taking you through that situation. Because I shared it on Instagram um, during the week. You know, I think it's in Hebrews, Hebrews 6.12. Hold on, let me see if I can get it real quick. Hebrews 6.12. Is it Hebrews 6.12 or Hebrews 12.6? Yeah, it says, um, actually, let's start from verse 5. It says, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So as you endure his divine, this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Now, just, just think about that. Like, like I, I remember the first time I, I, I saw that, I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, you know, because there are some people, there are some Christians who think, oh, the fact that I've given my life to Christ means that I'm devoid of any discipline, any hardship, any this. But God is saying that the fact that you're even going through it shows that you are my child. Because the, you came to me as you were. But you're not supposed to stay as you were. So as you've come to me, I'm supposed to now start dealing with you in removing all these impurities that you came with. All these bad habits, all this, you know. And you find that a lot of Christians will come and they'll be like, you know, this is who I am. No, that's not who you are. That is who you've been. That's who you've become. Now, when you've come to Christ, Christ is now going to restore you back to who he designed you to be. And that requires discipleship, which is where discipline comes from. You know, he's now going to start taking things away. And if you don't recognize that side of God, like I said, you will not be able to deal with him the right way. Um, I don't know what, what, what do you guys think about you know people who see God as this money monger? This God just wants us, he just wants our money, he just wants you know us to pay tithes, offering, you know, maybe based on what the preachers or the pastors have made him to look like. But you know, what are your thoughts on that basically? Because these are sides of God that people see, people view from the outside. He's a money monger, he's a magician. You know, all I need to do is just pay my tithe and everything will just 
work out automatically you know what do you guys think anybody want to share if you're in the audience and you want to come up please let's know Cause maybe let me let, let me keep reading like, romance. Okay, go on. Yeah, please could you repeat um something please? The what the question? Yes. No, so I'm like, um, what do we like who do people say God is? And I gave the example of people perceive God as this money monger, this magician, like if you just pay your tithe, everything just works out, you know, for you. He has rebuked the devourer, like you know, because a lot of people have this view of God that he just wants our money, pay your tithe, pay your tithe, pay your tithe. And so that has skewed a lot of people's views, you know, thinking that this God just wants my money, like he's broke or something. Okay, so I think that, I don't know why I'm echoing though. Am I still echoing? Nope. Okay. Okay. So I think that... Um, for starters, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm Nigerian, of course, and I live in Nigeria. I grew up in Nigeria, everything in Nigeria. So I think for starters, culturally, we don't, because um, I know that, well, I, I grew up in the church, and I know that I would listen, you know, to this kind of testimonies where, you know, people will come and say, oh, praise the Lord, da 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 that happened, right? And, like, they kind of paint you know, like they kind of paint God as a magician, hmm. you know, and I realized that, again, maybe because of our cultural um, perspective or our cultural mindset or our cultural upbringing, naturally, as Nigerians, we do not go into details. Like, so for example, now, hmm. um, I jack part to maybe... Um, U.S., for example, or, you know, mm. somebody traveled to U.S. or somebody migrated to the U.S., you know, and then the next thing you're hearing is like, um, oh, this person is in the U.S., and nobody's asking questions like, oh, how did the person get there? What kind of, I don't know if it's too much details, but what kind of visa does the person have? Like, you know, maybe using the jackpot situation is like extreme, but again, because we don't necessarily, um, we don't necessarily ask for details, we just know that, oh, God did it. Mm. You understand? Okay, how did God do it now? You understand? Like, mm. how? You, you, can't, you can't tell me that, oh, okay, it's because, it's, it's, some will say, oh, it's because I paid my tithe. But the truth is that beyond paying um, one's tithe, right, there's still, um, there's still um, what's it called? What's the word now? There are still things that, um, I'm, for example, now, like, there are still things that I'm expected you know, it's not just it just it just doesn't stop at pain type, basically. But we kind of always paint or we, 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 um, the scenarios have been painted to us to look like oh, it's because I paid my tithe and that's it. You know, and growing up with this kind of um 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 uh, what's it called? Growing up with this kind of situations or growing up with this kind of mindset, you know, one becomes an adult and one just thinks like oh, um, you pay your tithe and that's it. Or even with the grace um, uh, churches that um, preach um, grace or preach um, seed sowing, preach prosperity, 
they don't they don't necessarily like go into the they just, they just keep hammering on oh just so so your seed and that's it but mm. again we know that that's not true mm. so yeah i don't know if, if i've gone off track but yeah no, that's, that makes that's perfect just what sense. i think no, you you haven't actually because I think and we and I would discuss this um, occasionally how it's like testimonies are not complete. Someone just comes and then just gives the overview and that's it. They don't actually see the steps that we're taking for them to get where they're getting. And this it, it, it's it's a it's a dicey one because there are some people that you tell them the steps and they want to do the exact same steps but the message the real message behind it is what are the godly principles that were followed as in, was it things written down in scripture did god give somebody specific instructions um those sort of things oh gosh there was something that i wanted to say now i should have written it down that just flew Oh, out of my mind, uh, I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember. Oh. If I remember, I'll come back, but I can't remember now. <laughs> okay, no, voila. Well, yeah. Yes, I remember. I remember. So, yes, even when we look at that scripture that um, bring all the ties into the storehouse and test me to see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven, and God does his part. He rebukes the devourer for your sake, right? He opens the floodgates of heaven, but it's like a dam, for example, right? There's a, there is an enclosure, there's a, let me, for lack of a better word, there's a gate that keeps the water in there, right? But if God opens the floodgates of heaven and there is nothing, you have no structure, to hold it to hold the abundance that is flowing out of course it's going to go it doesn't mean that paying your tithe is not working in quotes like god has done his part he has but a lot of times we are the we are the devourers that god is rebuking and we are fighting against that rebuke sort of thing um so yeah that that's what i wanted to say that at the end of the day you need it's like and I always forget, was it Elisha or Elijah with the widow that he asked to bring the jars or whatever? If there was a hole in the jar, oil was being poured in, the oil would have been leaking away. Would we say then that God did not do his part to provide? Of course not. He provided. It was the woman that didn't do the entirety of her part. Yes, she brought the jar, but she was also supposed to bring a jar that as in also supposed to bring jars that would be able to hold that so yes the concept of paying tithe actually not paying tithe giving tithe or rather should we say returning tithe because you're just returning god's money to him or however you want to look at it but if you don't have the structure in place and that's um financial literacy financial responsibility those sort of things you're hard working that actually generate god will give you the opportunities the floodgates will be open onto you but if you are not gathering it the thing will just keep wasting away so that yeah that's my thoughts concerning that thanks for sharing that and i think that just rightly illustrates what we've been trying to say is that when you have one view of god and you don't have the holistic view of god then we don't get results and then we begin to blame this view of god that we have in our minds wondering why we're not getting the results and it begins to get us to doubt who god 
really is and you know the tithe thing is very illustrative of that because we find that a lot of churches are preaching just one aspect but they're not giving the balanced view like we said the fear of the lord is having a balanced view of god when you have that balanced view you know that okay god has already opened the windows of heaven but then you still have to obey his principles on your end in order to release and to receive it right and it's the same with salvation you know god has already saved us from eternal damnation but in order for us to receive it we need to believe it and obey him if that makes sense that is when you have the balanced view of god that is when you know that you fear god you know um so for those who are new here we're just you know sort of trying to answer the question who do men say god is you know um what's what is the view of god that we see people having in the world today that isn't really the balanced view um of god we've mentioned how people see him as a loving father who and to be honest this loving father is what has led to a lot of the alternative lifestyles that we've been seeing and it's in romans 1 you know if we look at verse 24 down he says so god abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired as a result they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies they traded the truth about god for a lie so they worshiped and served the things god created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise amen that is why god abandoned them to their shameful desires even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other um and the men instead of having normal sexual relations with women burned with lust for each other men did shameful things with other men and as a result of this sin they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved now when you think about this and this is where the whole homosexuality thing comes in because when you see god as a loving father then you are like you, you begin to validate your feelings and your heart desires because i mean a loving god will give me what i want if i'm feeling this way if i'm feeling attracted to the same sex then it must be a genuine feeling because my father my heavenly father will give me what i want and it's very it's, it's funny because before i got married to oji when i gave my life to christ i still had an image of a born again kim k that i was going to get married to and so even though i was saved i kept on telling myself that god will give me my heart's desires god will give me and i'm sure you heard this all over god will give me my heart's desire my heart desires but look at romans 1 24 god abandoned them to do whatever shameful things that their hearts desired so the fact that your heart desires something doesn't validate that god is in that thing the fact that you feel a certain way or you have certain desire doesn't mean that god is in that thing doesn't mean that god is going to give you that thing doesn't mean that that is actually god's desire for you you know so we're just trying to discuss what's what's what who do men say god is oh gee you're flashing do you want to say something oh no no i wasn't i thought you were done when you're done i will yeah i'm done go on okay um it's funny like i i was actually going to go um down that down that route as well because the script as in like everybody's like oh like god will give me the desires of my heart but we all sort of like quote only 
um, the part B of the scripture because the scripture is actually take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And when I actually did some research on, as in, like, okay, what, what is that scripture trying to tell us? And the funny thing is that delight, right, means to be soft, to be delicate, to be dainty, to be pliable. So what the scripture is telling us that we should be pliable in God. God should be able to mold us. And how does God mold us? It's in Romans that we renew, we are renewing our minds in Christ. So when we delight ourselves in God, that is when our minds are renewed in Christ, he gives us the desires of our hearts because the renewed mind in Christ is the mind of Christ. So it is, like you said, it is not actually the desires of our fleshly hearts, but the desires of our spirit man that are being, uh, that is being um, granted to us. Because the Bible is very clear that we're not to conform to the patterns of this world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And like you said, the heart of man, like the heart of flesh, is desperately wicked. So if we're looking for God to give us the desires of our flesh, those desires are desperately wicked. So like, is a loving God, if God is really, really loving, even if he's loving in the sense that, is it love to give somebody poison? Like, I, I, I really, really want poison right now. Like, I'm aching for it. I'm desperate for it. If somebody is really, really loving, is the person going to give that to us? So I think, again, it's for us to really go back and think about our definition of setting things, our perspective on setting things. Um, I remember, okay, it was this week that this week just passed that um, Moiwa put up a clip, a short clip from Pastor Mildred's um, sermon and she was talking about submission and how we as women we pick the guys that we're to submit to and all of that. So somebody somebody made a comment. Ah, as in the comment, like I can't the comment she in the comment she likened what Pastor Mildred said to slave trade that because the for example that because the Bible condones slave slavery, that like she likened what Pastor Mildred said to the Bible condoning slavery. I don't really know how to explain it, but the point she was trying to make is that slavery is bad, yet the Bible condones it. And in that way, submission is bad, yet. So that's basically what she was trying to say. So I was not like, well, first of all, the Bible doesn't condone slavery. The Bible is sort of like an account of what was happening at that time in terms of slavery in quotes and the Bible also goes um, the extra amount to sort of like lay down some principles on how to handle that situation. So the lady responds and she's like, oh, for the fact that the, um, there are sort of like written down principles to guide, written down guiding principles to her, that is condoning. I'm not like, well, first of all, slavery as we know it now is not slavery as depicted in the Bible. That if you go to the root word, because 
I'm sure most of you are probably tired of me saying this, but I think that's really the way for us to get, as in one of the ways to get the, obviously there is the Holy Spirit that gives us all understanding and I believe that that was anyway shall, yeah precise point so um that the root word of slave is bond servant that's why some translations of the bible don't use slave they will use bond servant and in that time a bond servant was somebody that worked um for free because he was trying to pay off a debt so take for example someone owes me a debt and cannot pay the person then agrees to become my bond servant to pay off his debt. Now, what God said is that, okay, fine, that's fine. However, I am going to lay down some guiding principles around this. This person cannot be a bond servant for more than six years. In the seventh year, you're going to let this person go. You are not to maltreat this person. You're not to steal and sell anyone and all those things is right there in the bible so but we we see slavery now as someone being stolen being kidnapped and being maltreated and you're in servitude for the rest of your life so when we hear slave that is what we think about but when the bible is talking about slave that's not what the bible is talking about because even in that time it was jewish custom that at the end of the sixth year the person the the former master in quotes would now settle the bond servants so that the bond servants will be able to start up a new life. When we think about slavery as we know it today, that's not what slavery is. You are a slave, you are a slave for life. That sort of thing. So I guess for me, it's sort of like just to reiterate that a lot of the concepts that we have are wrong. A lot of the ways we understand certain things are wrong. Um, they are incomplete. They are based on our own, we sort of like use our own lives or, our, or what we think our reality is or the reality of other people to superimpose all these things um, on God. And there was somebody else that sort of like jumped into the conversation I was having with this lady. Um, and she was like, okay, fine. I understand everything you're trying to say concerning submission. However, the way Pastor Mildred um delivered the message was on becoming of a preacher and i'm not like what exactly did she do she she was like oh that she wasn't loving towards feminists that how would jesus have talked to feminists i'm like first of all pastor mildred did not insult anybody she did not judge anybody like so a lot of the times even the image we have of jesus is not scriptural this is the same jesus that flogged people out of the temple this is the same Jesus that called um, the Pharisees a brood of vipers, said that their father is the devil and stuff like that. If anybody were to do that today, will say, oh my God, this person's salvation mm. is not really real. Of course, Jesus didn't do it in a negative way, for lack of a better word, because a lot of what he said was true, right? He, but I'm, I'm, I'm not telling anybody to go and be saying anybody's the son of the devil or whatever, but you get what I mean. Like, a lot of the, we've convinced, we've, like Muiwa said, we've come up with our, our own image of who God is. And most of the times, if it, it's not, it's not scriptural. Yeah, I'm I think, done. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's actually a very good um, example because. 
every time I read the Bible, I'm like, like, aren't people seeing this Jesus that I'm reading about? Like, you know, and, 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 and it feels like a lot of people are just picking one side um, of, of him. Like, like you said, he flogged these people out of the temple. Like, if a pastor did that today, and I would be like, man, this guy, the, the devil has entered him. You know, but if it feels like we don't, like, and again, if we don't have a balanced view of who God is, when we read, and that, this is why some people would say the Bible is not real or the Bible contradicts itself or blah, 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 because the Bible is contradicting their image of, of, of who they think God is. Meanwhile, the Bible is just telling you who this God is. Like, I know even for me, when I first gave my life to Christ and I encountered grace and everything, I was like, oh, the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. But really, I've, I've repented. That is not true. The, the same... You realize that if you don't give your life to Christ and like the rapture and the end times, it's actually God that is giving this judgment. Like all these suffering, like it's God that's actually going to be administering that thing. So is, is that the same God that we're looking at today that we're saying is our loving father and ETC? And for me, there, there are two sides to the coin. So there's God that is the loving father then there's the God that is the holy and he doesn't want me to enjoy my life father you know that's the one that i had in my heart before i gave my life to christ and when you have that image of god it doesn't make you want to come to him you are scared of him and for the longest time you know people say oh come and pray and like no no god doesn't want to hear anything from me man and that's because our view of him is this holy doesn't want you to enjoy your life god so why would I come to him? Because I am not even like, I am not worthy to come into his presence. But guess what? God has already made us worthy through Jesus Christ. You know, uh, the moment you receive Jesus Christ, now you can come to his throne without shame, without any prejudice. Like you can come directly to him and actually speak. But if you still carry that image of this unloving father or this strict dad, then you like when you mess up you won't be able to go to him to ask for forgiveness or to you know seek guidance on how to do it better i don't know if i'm making sense but that that's those are two views that uh that i think once we're able to get that balanced view then we're able to really connect with god the way he wants us to so um let's let's get into you know some of the consequences i think we sort of dabbled into this the consequences of not having the balanced view of God or not having that fear of God or the consequences of having a one-sided view of who God is. And I've read Romans uh, one twenty-one down. Uh, let me read from 28 down as well because we stopped at 27. It says, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. Breaking their promises are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die yet they do them anyway worse yet they encourage others to do them too so you can see that a lot of the things that we struggle with is actually as a result of us not having 
a balanced view of who God is. Because God has said it here, because they thought I was like this, it led them to have this homosexual lifestyle, have this uh, lead to murder, envy, jealousy, all these things that we deal with as a result of not having a balanced view uh, of God. And I, I wanted to share something because um, I was reading Luke 19.10 a few months ago. And the way God speaks to me is, you know, as I'm reading the Bible, and I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this as well. As I'm reading the Bible, images begin to pop up in your head. And I feel like that is when understanding is birth because when an image is formed in your head it means you've understood that thing when an image is still is still foggy you don't you don't really know what is going on but once an image is formed it means that you've come to understand it so i was reading luke uh 19 when i got to verse 9 it says jesus responded salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of abraham for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost as I was reading it, that last line was just, it kept on reverberating. It says, he came to seek and save those who are lost. And I feel like a lot of us are aware of the seeking Jesus, but not of the saving Jesus. Because the image that came to my mind was, imagine someone has been missing for years, you know, 10, 20 years, and then You've been searching for this person, searching for... I don't know if you guys watch the missing, like all this Discovery Channel or Investigation Channel where someone was maybe kidnapped as a child, but the, the family is still there looking for this child, saying the child is not dead. We haven't seen any evidence that the child is dead. So this child, we are hoping that it's still alive. You know, then all of a sudden you find this child. Like imagine that image. Of you eventually seeing this child that's missing for 10 years. Obviously, you go hug the child, you kiss the child, be like, Oh my god, I've been looking for you for years. And that is the part that that's the side of Jesus that everybody grabs and says, Okay, this is the one that I want. But then the Bible says that he has come to seek and to save. So he, he didn't just come and say, Oh, I found you, I found you. Now it's like I need to take you back. To where you came from. Now, it's not going to be easy for you to see that kind of person and say, Now, nah, I need to take you out from everything you've known into the unknown. You know, and that's the part of Jesus Christ that people don't like to, to hear about, or people don't even, people aren't aware of that side of Jesus. He didn't just come to seek, He also came to save. He also came to save us. Another story is uh, the story of Moses. You know, when I gave my life to Christ and I was reading these stories, you know, I'm like, the Bible says that Moses was a friend of God. Like, he would speak to God face to face. And I'm like, why is it that, okay, Moses made a mistake. He struck the stone or the rock instead of speaking to it like God said. And God said, because of what you've done, you're not going to see the promised land. You're not going to enter it. And in my mind, I'm like, but come on now, like God, like this is your guy. Like, because I was trying to think of it like, you know, if I'm as close as Moses was to God, is it possible that God would treat me the same way because I made a mistake? You know, so I'm like, well, God, this, this was your guy. You know, why won't you allow him to even enter? Like, he's literally spent 40 years carrying your stubborn people 
through the wilderness. And I'm telling you that because he made this one mistake. And this is the version of God that a lot of people don't want to hear about. Because, you know, imagine that, like, this person had been with God for 40 years. And because he made one mistake, he literally didn't enter the, the, the promised land. So, back to the topic now. Why would a loving God send his children to hell? Can we answer that question now? So, this is open to everybody. Like, what do you think? Would a loving God send his children to hell? And why? Okay, so I'm using Moses um, as an as an example because I also have had you know um, that um, conversation with um, a group of friends, and there was something that I I learned about um, the reason um, Moses was not allowed or was not permitted. I think permission is better. Mm. Was not permitted to um, go into um, um, into Canaan. Was because if we if we if we backtrack to the incident that happened um, about the um, speaking sorry the striking speak to the rock don't speak to the rock or strike the rock or something like that and um, there was there was something there was an analysis I hope I'm able to um, remember and say it verbatim but there was an there was the analysis that Moses not going into um, Canaan was to save was god saving moses life hmm. now if we look at if we if we analyze if we analyze um um how um moses was referred you know if i i think for the children of israel they even they preferred i remember when god came to speak to them from at Mount Sinai and you know God wanted to come speak directly and they were like no they don't want God to come speak directly you know I think God had actually come maybe in smoke or something like that and they were like oh, no, no 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 we're going to die like mm. please just speak to us through Moses so I think that Moses had kind of been elevated to the God status mm. not God like G-O-D but he was already um you know put on that um, on Pedestal. that level mm to um to the children of asia and i think that after that disobedience that um um that that happened you know with the rock situation i think it was it was just to it was just to show that if moses had um gone into canaan or if if that had happened for moses it it probably would have just completely taken um away the human um the human factor or the human aspect of 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 who Moses is to the children of Israel, you know. Again, Moses is human, and so for the children of Israel, they they probably did not see Moses like that anymore. They saw him as a semi god or a demi god or god. Mm. I, I don't know if I'm if you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But bottom line, that that was the explanation that was given. So it was it was it, it wasn't a case of punishment to Moses. It was a case of you know God just um saving him and sparing him just um, sparing his life so again the question why would a loving god send his children to hell i don't necessarily think that now that i know better i don't necessarily think that it's a case of god sending us to hell now if we look at it how um the whole hell thing and um, how it um came came about you know it was hell was made for the devil or Satan, or mm-hmm. Lucifer, or whatever his name is. However, 
what comes to mind is that if um, if uh, the Bible says by their fruits we shall know them or something something you're not something something my vine so I, I can't quote I can't remember it verbatim now but the thing is if we practice what um, the devil will be punished for it just only it just only makes sense and this is me just looking at it from a logical point of view it just only makes sense to be identified by um, what um, the devil is identified as or um, what you know the devil is called for or what it is so if the devil the, the hell was created for the devil hell wasn't created for for we humans however if we consistently um indulge in in, in things or works or whatever it is you know that that um that characterizes the devil right it just makes logical sense for us to go that way so i don't necessarily think that god would send um god made hell for us no god didn't make hell for us it just so happens that if we continue to practice or if we are found um you know guilty because again god has the holiness side of him and he has that judgment part of him whether we like it or not whether we want to admit it or not so but yeah that's that's my opinion yeah nice thanks thanks that's an interesting uh take on the moses part um I know for me, and to answer this question, like, for me, like, the revelation came when I was able to piece the two sides of God together. You know, because, yes, God is a loving God. He's also a just judge. Like, he's perfect. And I think it was yesterday that the Holy Spirit was giving me an illustration because take for example now bill gates who is loved well not loved by everybody now <laughs> but at some point he was everybody's sort of role model i want to be like this guy you know he's yes he's the richest he was the richest man in the world but even with that he was still trying to solve you know health crisis problems in africa once to eradicate polio once to eradicate malaria stuff like that you know he has given so much he has given so much to the world you know with microsoft with with his philanthropy and all that stuff right imagine if he had killed somebody you know everybody in the world would be like ah they're going to be they're going to do favoritism for this guy because he has done so much you know are we going to be able to get a judge who will uh, be able to serve justice the way it, it, it's supposed to be even though it is bill gates you know so imagine if he gets to the court the judge that that gets is a is a very well-known judge for integrity you know straight straight jacket judge but the judge is like you know what this bill gates like he has given so much now like i think let's give him a pass on this one like do you know like the 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 impact and the precedent that that will set would take us back like a million years because now the like the, the the justice system has failed us when we most need it and i feel like it's the same way with god where okay yes he's a loving god but will we will say because the loving god he now reduces his level of justice because of that love i don't know if i'm if, if i'm making sense but basically the way I was able to join the two together is that even though God is loving and God is just, God could not, because he loved us so much, reduce the standard of his law. 
to accommodate us in. So what did he do? He literally put his love on display. And he said, you know what? I cannot break my law. I, because if I break my law, it's like, going, it's like breaking me. But I'm also an all-loving God. So how do I reconcile these two together? He now decided to die for us. Like that's, that, that's the only way he could have done it. Because he couldn't say, oh, let me reduce my standard so that I can accept these people. And then he couldn't not love us. So which is why he now came down in the form of Jesus Christ to die for us. He kept the law that we couldn't keep. And he died the death that we deserved to die. And he said, you know what? If you can simply believe that I died for your sins and that on the third day I resurrected and that if you believe in me, you can be reconnected back to God. Then you have eternal life. Then you don't need to go to hell. Like he has done everything for us. Like I don't know. Like I feel like the moment we grasp the immensity of this is when our lives actually change. Like we didn't actually do anything. We're supposed to. He gave us the law because, and the reason why he gave us the law is because he wanted us to try to keep it. He knew we would never be able to keep it. Because we know even the Ten Commandments, we break it every single hour. He knew that we would never be able to keep it. So it's like, let these people try so that when they come to the end of themselves, they will ask for a savior. They'll say, you know, we try this, you know, we can't do it. Please, I need a savior. And then we'll receive Jesus Christ. You know, so if, like, if you can grasp this thing, like I promise you, it will change your life because he has done everything for the world. All he's now requiring is that you believe that I've done it for you. And the moment you believe, and really this belief is not just head knowledge. It is a belief with the heart. And I, I gave this example years ago, you know, uh, Imagine if, okay, we're on clubhouse right now, but imagine if we're all physically gathered somewhere, you know, and a terrorist walked into that room and wanted to execute every single person. But me, like, I, 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 I go and meet the terrorist and I'm like, yo, bro, please, like, these people, they are XYZ, they just, you know, they're good people, they're this, they're trying to get their lives together. Instead of killing all of them, kill me. Like, I will voluntarily give myself to you to kill. Just let these people go. Now, imagine by some miracle, the terrorist is like, you know what? I'm going to deal with you. For you, to, for you to even come to me and ask this thing, they can go. But I'm going to give you a death that even you, you know that you shouldn't have said this thing. You know? And imagine he lets you go. He does whatever sodomizes me. Like, he does the most horrific thing that you can ever think of to me. And he thinks that I'm dead. He shoots me finally in the head, leaves me for dead, thinks I'm dead. And then, for some reason, there are some missionaries walking about and they find my dead, like, my half 1% life body. And they take me to the hospital. They're able to bring me back to life. Imagine if you now hear that I am... that. I'm actually alive and you come to the hospital and you see me like like how would that make you feel if I then tell you that guys like I did this because I love you guys and I want you to be able to live the way God 
expects us to live. Like, think about it. You were supposed to die. But based on what I did, you still have your life. Like, do you know the kind of gratitude that you have towards me? And there's nothing I will tell you to do that you won't want to do. And I feel like we don't recognize that as Christians. Like, when, when we, we, we've heard the truth so much that we become desensitized to it. Like, when we hear Jesus Christ died for us, he died for us, he died for us. Like, we don't really understand what it means that he died for us. Like, you think it's easy for someone to die for you? Like, he literally, imagine me going through that for you. And me now telling you that, you know what, I just need you to be able to love and forgive and, you know, do X, Y, Z. Like, you would do it without thinking. Like, you'd be like, this guy literally sacrificed himself for me. Whatever he wants me to do, I will do it. And that is the same way it's supposed to be with Jesus Christ. It's the same. That's what transformed me. You know, I came to the revelation of what actually happened on the cross. That I was supposed to die. But God came down in form of Jesus Christ to save me. I was supposed to die. And because of that, no, like whatever he says I should do. We're not perfect. We're not going to be perfect until he comes back again. But there's going to be a heart transformation. There's going to be a realization of what we just escaped. And that realization will get us closer to God to the point where we want to actually know this, this God. Because the fact I was able to do that for you, be like, man, dude, what do you need? Let's talk. Let's have a relationship. You'll be calling me every single day just to check up on how I am. You know, this is the thing that would actually bring us to that revelation of who God is and give us that balanced view. And to answer the question directly, God doesn't actually send his children to hell. We send ourselves to hell. Because based on what I've said, he has literally done everything from beginning to the end. All his, He has actually give, he has paid the price. He has bought everything. He's like, will you receive it? Will you receive it? And if you don't receive it, who is sending you? You've literally sent yourself to hell. Let me read John 3. 16 which everybody knows but let's check 17 which most 17 and 18 which most people don't uh, read for for this is how god loved the world he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish everyone who believes not everybody who keeps the entire law everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life verse 17 god sent his son into the world not to judge the world he didn't come to judge him but to save the world through him. Now, see verse 18. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. Are you seeing this? He didn't send his son to come and judge us. He came so that we can believe in him. All the judgment has been done in Jesus' body. But guess what? If we don't believe him before Jesus Christ comes back, that is when the judgment of God and the wrath of God will come upon us because we did not believe. Can you imagine spending eternity in hell because you simply did not believe? Like imagine 
everybody's now burning in hell and like all i needed to do was believe like imagine the, the amount of regret that you have you know so that's that sort of answers that question he does a loving god actually doesn't send his children to hell we send ourselves to hell does anybody wants have any we're not a lot on this so we, we're not going to do the full two hours i think we're we're, 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 we're going to close in a bit uh but does anybody have any last words OG, yeah. I actually find this question or this concept amusing because in a way I'm like it's contradictory but a lot of people that peddle they don't even realize how contradictory it is because it's like take person A you've rejected God um, you've rejected who he is what he wants what he desires, his principle. You've basically rejected everything that has to do with God. Um, yet, even though you've rejected him, you're like, if he's so loving, why would he send me to hell sort of thing? And at the back of my mind is like, what exactly is your concept of love? Because you believe that a loving God will give you everything that you want. So if everything that you want is exclusive of God, why would he then force you to go into heaven where he is and you've already rejected him? Like, you don't want anything to do with him. So, like, yeah, that, it was a, it's a concept or a thought that has often popped into, popped into my head and I often just wonder how, if people realize how contradictory it is, like, you've rejected him, but yet you want to go to heaven, like, if God is loving in the way that you really think he is, why then would he give you something that you don't want, which is eternity in his presence? But yeah. Wow. That's actually that's actually deep when you think about it. Like it actually yep, that, that actually makes uh, a lot of sense. And you know, even the concept of a loving God, like even those who reject him, like it was i think it was a few years ago i think two years after i given my life to christ like i was just i was listening to this nathaniel bassi song um ah, i can't remember the name but the he says he loved me when i didn't care and was patient till i came running back into his arms like i don't know if you guys know that song but literally i think it's romance there's a part in Romans that says that it is the patience of God or the loving kindness of God that brings men into repentance. I can't remember how it says it, but I just remember being so grateful that God was patient with me. And I feel like this is the only reason why God hasn't come back because he's given everybody a chance. Like he's so patient. You know, the, the, the Bible says that God is so rich in mercy, you know, People see people like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos as rich, as but they are rich in money. God is rich the same way in mercy and in patience. You can imagine he has a long rope. The same way that Bill Gates are rich in money is the same way he's rich in mercy, which is why he is so patient with us that let me give this guy one more chance. Let me give this girl one more chance, one more chance, one more chance. Hopefully. You know how many chances God gave me and he was just, he kept on coming back. He's like breaking up with somebody. And the person comes back and says, I'm sorry. Then they cheat on you again. 
and they come back and say i'm sorry then they cheat on you again but you keep accepting them over like our human mind can't comprehend it this is why god is just in a class all by himself like he loves us so much that he's so patient that i will keep these people keep cheating on me they keep breaking my heart but you know what i'll come back on the off chance that this one time that i come back they will actually accept me and receive me you know like even the people that don't believe god you know he he still keeps blessing them like how can you reject him and he still keeps like i was thinking about the other day like you you realize that we're just one breath away from death like if you breathe in and you don't breathe out you're literally dead and God is the one who actually makes us breathe in and out. And even you see the atheists who say God doesn't exist. And yet they use his breath. Like it, it doesn't even make sense. You know, you, you reject God yet he blesses you with a new job. He gives you X, Y, Z. Like, like he's still blessing you even when you reject him. You know. And, and so, like, like OG said, man, the hypocrisy is just like, like, you know, people only blame God when bad things happen. When good things happen, they will be like, oh, God, God is good. When bad things happen, they're like, oh, why would God allow this happen? No, why would God allow the good things happen to you that you, that you, that you rejected him? You know? Um, so, yeah, we've, we've come to the, to the end of this one. Tosin, do you have some last words or no? thanks thanks for joining in though we appreciate your insights thanks for sharing as well um if this is your first time this is before marriage 21 um where marriage ministry we help single christians become the right people for marriage by showing them what marriage looks like when done god's way um the way we work is um we have five pillars and we're going to get into that in subsequent meetings but we believe that in order for you to have a successful marriage, there are five things that need to happen. And the number one thing is that you, you both need to be genuinely born again. Um, if you're going to really experience marriage the way God designed it, you both need to be connected to him. You both need to have received Jesus Christ, who is the only way to God. You know, And you need to be genuinely saved. Because like I said at the beginning of this session, the things that make marriage beautiful and sweet are the fruits of the Spirit. Patience, love, kindness, joy, peace, self-control. You know, these are the things that make marriage work. But you cannot get the fruits of the Spirit without having the seed of the Spirit. The genuine seed. And that's the Word of God. The Word of God is Jesus Christ. You cannot have the fruits without having Jesus Christ having been deposited on the inside of you. And staying long enough to produce this fruit. So we believe the first step as a single person... Or even if you've been married and you want restoration in your marriage, the first step is always to be reconnected with God through Jesus Christ. And so we decided to start this Bible study to help get people that first step, to help um, reveal Jesus Christ to people. Because we believe that if you can believe Jesus Christ and you can be genuinely saved, the moment you are genuinely saved, your eyes opens. And you are able to see red flags from a mile away. You are not going to pick the wrong person. Because that's why most people get, get married and they, they, they mess up in their marriage. Because they haven't picked right. They haven't allowed God to pick for them. Because God is the one who knows the future. He knows that this person that you've picked, 
in the next 10 years will be an amazing spouse. But we pick with our eyes. We walk by our eyes, not by faith. You know, so the moment you are able to reconnect with God and it opens your eyes to be able to see, he can then speak to you. And, and that's one, one other thing that we want to do through this platform is that, yes, you need to see Jesus. Uh, you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior and be genuinely saved. But also you need to be able to hear from God because your ability to hear from God will help you to pick the right person. And not to make mistakes when it comes to picking that person. You know, um, it is what we've experienced in our marriage, OG and I. Like, it's been six years. Like, I don't even know how to explain it. To us, it's still like a movie. Because it's it's like the perfect scenario for us. Like, yes, we have our disagreements are like... When you hear us, I, we had a friend come to live with us for six months last year. And she's like, I've been seeing you guys on your before marriage on instagram and everybody's like mm, yimu, yimu, like you people it can't be this good but she's like if i didn't come to live with you people i wouldn't have understood it i would have thought you guys were just lying i would have thought you guys are hiding something but i've never seen marriage work like this in my life and to the glory of god it's not by our power it's not by our by anything we're doing it's not by any tips that we're doing it's literally because we both are genuinely saved we've received jesus christ into our lives and we want to serve him and we are producing the fruits of the spirit because we are spending time with him we want to grow in him these are the things that actually make marriage work so we want to be able to replicate this experience and even have you guys have a better experience than what we are even experiencing and so we know our secret our secret is that we know god that is it. And if we can get you to know God as well and to be able to hear from him and to be able to serve him and, you know, let his will be done, not your will, you know, you can begin to experience and have the marriage of your dreams, basically. God, God never designed anything to fail. When he designed marriage, he designed it to succeed. And the moment you are able to understand the laws that govern marriage, how he wants marriage to be done, you can experience marriage the same way. You know, so that is why we do this Bible study. We hold it uh, once every two weeks. So one, once every other week. And we're going through the book of Romans. Because Romans has been written for unbelievers. It's been, read, it's been written to give an overview of what Jesus Christ has done. So by going through this book, we're hoping that you begin to see Jesus Christ in a new light. And hopefully you'll be able to believe and receive him Um the same way we have. If I can just read quickly Romans 1 um, verses 5. It says, Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. This is why he wrote this book. He wants to tell Gentiles, people who are away from God, you know, what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, please, if you haven't received him and you're not sure, you don't have the assurance that if he comes today, you will be saved. Please, please, please keep joining these sessions because it's a, it's a journey. It's not a one-time thing. It is a journey. You know, um, I, I know with me, the, the moment I gave my life to Christ wasn't the day the seed was sown. I didn't realize it, but the seed had been sown months before. When I gave my life to Christ, I remember 
one of my friends said, I, I, I saw this coming. I didn't even see it coming, but he was like, I saw this coming. I was seeing a Muslim girl at the time. And when I told her, you know, I've given my life to Christ. I don't think we can keep seeing each other. She was like, I should have known. Because the first time I entered your car, I saw a Bible in your... Although these things don't really... It doesn't really add up like that. But I saw a Bible on your dashboard. I saw you were listening to uh, a sermon. I should have known that this was going to happen at some point. Me, I was just... It was... I didn't think anything was happening. But the seed was had been sown. And the, the, the water of the word was being you know, put on that seed. And one day, my life just got transformed. So if you don't feel like that transformation has happened yet, don't be discouraged. Just keep on attending these sessions. Keep on listening to sermons. Keep on, just keep on connecting with God. Keep on reading the Bible. And one day, you will just see that you'll be born again. Like a child, you know, when when, when a child is conceived, it stays in the, in the in, in your belly for nine months before we then see the manifestation. It's the same way with our spiritual life. We're going to be born again spiritually. It's going to take time. The seeds that have been sown in this session, it has been sown. Just keep coming, coming back. Just keep coming back. Just keep coming back. At some point, the manifestation of what has been sown will then become a reality. So let's just say a quick prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your children um, that have come and attended this session. Thank you for the insights that you've shared. Um, we just thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your light. We just ask, oh Lord, that for anyone who is struggling right now, anyone who doesn't have that assurance that you are their father, that assurance that they will, that they've made heaven, um, through the Son, through your Son Jesus Christ, we just ask, O oh Lord, for a fresh revelation of who you are. We ask, O oh Lord, that they be born again the right way. Uh, for everyone who is looking for their partner, we ask, O oh Lord, that this first step of genuinely being born again and knowing you and having that salvation, that it will be released into their lives, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. We declare, O oh Lord, that the enemy has no hold and no authority over these ones lord in the mighty name of jesus we speak your life into them we speak your light into them because we know that when your light comes darkness cannot comprehend it it cannot comprehend it when light comes darkness disappears we speak that light into their lives lord in the mighty name of jesus as we go on this weekend um as they get to know you better we just ask oh lord for a fresh revelation for them lord in jesus name thank you heavenly father for in jesus name we pray amen so thank you guys for joining in once again. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll jump into Romans 2 in the next session because I think we've sort of, um, we haven't exhausted it, but I think let's, let's, let's move into Romans 2. So uh, if you want to be a part of the mailing list, just send us, I believe on Clubhouse, you can send uh, direct messages now. Send us an email so that we can keep you in the loop. We usually send emails with videos, you know, just send messages uh so if you want to be a part of that just send us a message and we'll add you to the list um also please i i really don't want this to be a teaching um session i want to i want it to be an interactive session the idea is that we all go back read romans 2 and then come back with insights questions if there's something you didn't understand come back and ask so that we can all talk about it and let it be an interactive session where everybody is sort of sharing. Uh, thanks again, Tosin, for sharing and, and attending this session. Do our music at Desola. You know, we'll be happy to, you know, hear from you when you are ready. Uh, but yeah, please study Romans 2 
uh, and come ready in the next session to share and interact. So have a great weekend, guys. Take care. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thanks, Lucy. Bye, guys. Babe, how do you end the room? Can you end it? Okay.